Radio.com, the number one listener-supported talk radio station, throwing ourselves upon the gears of the machine. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. You called down the thunder, well now you've got it. You tell them I'm coming, and hell's coming with me, you hear? Hell's coming with me! Revolution Radio. We did not engage in conflict that was out of line with our mission. Is it disloyal? Is it sedition? Is it treason to oppose the hands of tyranny? Never! I will never send troops anywhere on a mission of that kind without telling them that if somebody shoots at them, they can darn well shoot back. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty! A dark cloud is finally lifting across the world as U.S. military intelligence and their global partners are destroying the deep state criminal power structure that has ruled over our planet for hundreds of years. We are free with the God-given rights, and we shall not yield that right to any power on Earth. Hi, I'm Scott McKay. The world is at, and I am your host on The Tipping Point. On Revolution Radio, where every Monday from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, we bring you the latest in this ensuing takedown of this global criminal empire. That's an image of strength. You'll get the raw, hard truth here on The Tipping Point. So come join us Mondays, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, in Studio B at Revolution.Radio. Thanks for listening while we take that short break here at Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com. And now we're going to get back to your host. All right, here we go. It's Saturday afternoon where I am, Saturday morning where you are probably, if you're on the East Coast in the States at least. Four o'clock in the afternoon here, 11 o'clock on the East Coast in the States. It's the 22nd of July, 2023. Would you believe that? Well, we're way more than halfway through the year. It's a bit damp and dingy here at the moment, but it's Saturday afternoon, so who cares, really? Saturday afternoons are always interesting for me. We're having a conversation in the chat room at Revolution Radio at the moment. If anybody wants to come in and join the people in the chat room, uh, we're talking about the Beatles and whether the Beatles wrote their own songs, whether they were controlled by Tavistock, whether Paul McCartney was replaced by another Paul McCartney uh, in the in the mid 60s. I'm, I'm a bit suspect with all of that stuff. I did know somebody who worked on a on a music TV show in the early 80s and he, he met and worked with Paul McCartney and they had conversations about uh, people who ran the fairgrounds the travelling traveling fairgrounds in the late 50s because they were roughly the same age my mate and Paul McCartney are roughly the same age and if Paul McCartney had been replaced by somebody else he wouldn't have that childhood information about fairgrounds that was shared by me by my mate Jeff so I can't see how he was replaced 
that doesn't make sense to me that they would re replace somebody's memories give somebody else the exact same memories that the original Paul McCartney had uh, I can't see that would be a way that it happened uh, I can I can understand how they might have not written their own material because there was a, a, a system in place and you would have professional songwriters write George Martin had access to an orchestra so he could get studio session players in put down the back and tracks and then the Beatles come in and do the do the vocal tracks I can see how that would work but I'm not sure about the Paul is dead part of that as for Tavistock I'm not sure about Tavistock I did at one point when I lived in London I went for a walk uh, to have a look at the Tavistock Institute I never went in but I did walk past it and have a look it's between West Hampstead Underground and Swiss Cottage or it's West Hampstead yeah and Swiss Cottage you can walk through and you on that road that goes through between the two two stations is the Tavistock Institute which is a a big concrete building so that didn't really tell me anything about whether they're in charge of the music industry or not but uh, they are a they are a psychotherapy center and and psychology Clinical Psychology Training Centre. Uh, so they're in, they're in, they're interested, and they were involved with EMI at the time, I think, as well. They were doing psychological research for EMI, so it's possible that that had some influence on the Beatles. If they were doing market, effectively market research, uh, so it's possible that Tavistock had some involvement, but I don't think it's what. Uh, people say it is. I think there's a a much more sensible explanation than the all the conspiracy theories that are going around. I'm, I'm not really a fan of just making stuff up without evidence and I, I haven't seen any evidence that Theodore Adorno wrote the Beatles songs. So until I see some evidence of that and Theodore Adorno was busy apart from anything else so he had plenty on his plate <laughs> in the in the 60s without writing tunes for the Beatles and he hated popular music he didn't like popular music at all so why on earth would he be involved in a project that was revolving around popular music that doesn't make sense if he hated it unless he's just proving a point that it's easy to write and that anybody can write it I don't know. So yeah, I don't have inside information, and I don't really believe a lot of the conspiracy stuff because I've got evidence from a conversation I had with my mate Jeff that uh, Paul McCartney's probably real. So who knows about that anyway? But that's the conversation we've been having in the chat room, uh, and we've got Jim Bob, Omega Logos, we've got Mast. We've got Pat Rabbit, we've got Jair Bear in there as well. So hello to all, all you folks. Uh, the easiest part of, of that whole thing to believe is that they were manufactured. I've got no problem believing that. I just have trouble with the uh, who manufactured them and why part of the story because that's all, it's all theoretical. 
There's, if, there's, if there's any physical evidence, is there anything written down at the Tavistock Institute that says, what do we do next with the Beatles? Like a step-by-step -step plan. They must have written something down if they were actually in charge, wasn't they? So there'll be some kind of paper trail somewhere. Anyway, that wasn't what I was going to do the show about. It's just what was in the chat room. So uh, let's carry on. What was I going to talk about? I've got loads of bits of paper, so let me have a look at my uh, my notes here. All right, I was going to talk about cause and effect. So cause and effect's been a theme this week for me. Uh, and I'll, I listened to... The conversation between Alex Zach and David Martin, which I, I recommend you listen to if you haven't already heard it. Uh, it's on BitChute. And there was a challenge issued by David Martin uh, about looking at do cause and effect actually exist? So that gave me an insight into where David Martin's coming from a little bit more uh, because. In, July, in duality, cause and effect do exist, but in non-duality, they can't exist because there's no separation in non-duality. So that makes me think that David Martin's coming from a, a monist perspective, a non-dual perspective. I don't know for sure, but I think that's where he's coming from. Uh, and he's obviously building a, a legal case based on cause and effect, but it's it's a legal case for a specific outcome. He wants to put people in prison. So his personal belief system's not really a part of that. It's, it's kind of set aside and he's doing what needs to happen to put the people in in prison who who we think need to be in prison. So anyway that was that was something I thought was was interesting. Uh, the conversation was quite adversarial. It was uh, Alex Zak is, is on Team No Virus. He's a no, he's a viruses don't exist man. And David Martin's obviously basing his entire legal case on virus ex, viruses existing. So it was a bit adversarial, but uh, it's a good conversation. It's one of the best conversations I've heard in quite a while. So there is that. The other thing I've been puzzling about this week as well is uh, do atoms exist? Because that's another one of those things where if you're looking at it from the perspective of duality, i.e. more than one thing, then, then they could potentially exist or they do exist. But from a non-dual perspective, there's no way that atoms can exist because there is only one one system, one thing. There's only one thing that exists in in monism and non-duality. So, so there's that. That was uh, that was the basis of my thought process. Anyway, when I was thinking about the monologue, uh, the other things I've got on there are, are my business model, so they're not really relevant. Uh, I could go through some of the the stats on my pod being no, I think I'll save that for another time. What I was going what I might do uh, let's have a look. I was gonna play 
play a piece of, piece of video. This is uh, a documentary called Corona Gate, which came out about a year and a half ago. Maybe it's quite old now, but I thought it's, it's still relevant because it's, it's kind of detailing people involved in, in the whole Corona thing, the, the, the big pharma, World Economic Forum connections, and it's not something that I hear people talking about anywhere else. So it's just the only place that I've heard this, this stuff really mentioned is in this particular documentary. So what I think I ought to do is play about, about half an hour, maybe 25 minutes, half an hour of it. Where they break down some of the some of the connections to Switzerland. So this is uh, Corona Gate Part Two. Ah, Switzerland. It's quite fitting that Vittorio would end up in Switzerland, considering it was his ancestors who founded the beautiful country. Whose ancestral rule began in the area where today France, Italy, and Switzerland come together in the vicinity of Lake Geneva, and then gradually expanded over the Savoy dynasty's 1,000-year history into the modern Italian state. Today, the knights and dames of the Savoy orders are represented by over 40 national and regional delegations throughout the world. Worldwide administration of the orders is directed by the prince as Grand Master and by the Grand Chancellor from their headquarters offices at the Chancellery in Geneva, Switzerland. Although the exact history of Switzerland is a bit shady and there is some speculation that the Knights Templar settled here. However, Swiss nobility and the House of Savoy were certainly an influence in the founding of this country. Now this is when a light bulb went off. What do all of these corporations and organizations have in common? They are all located in Switzerland. A neutral peacekeeping country known for its banking secrecy, full of exiled monarchs and notorious criminals. This 2006 article explains how Geneva is the capital of globalization. According to the government department responsible for promoting Switzerland's image abroad, Geneva is a vital element in the country's international marketing strategy. We want to develop an image of a modern, forward-looking country rather than relying on stereotypes such as mountains and chocolates. Geneva is a perfect example for us. And to convince people, you only need to remind them that the World Wide Web was first developed at the nuclear research facility CERN in Geneva in the 90s. Geneva started to take on a new role as a testing ground for globalization issues. Every year, the World Economic Forum organizes a meeting of global leaders, business figures, politicians, and intellectuals in Switzerland. Switzerland is also the seat of the guardian of the free market, the World Trade Organization, and its social counterpart, the International Labor Organization, as well as the World Intellectual Property Organization, which deals with trademarks for companies worldwide. There is a single cohesive global public-private partnership that oversees the entire systems, and that's taken the form of global governance. This is a laboratory for world governance. It is here that a new partnership is being forged between states, the private sector, and civil society. The idea of compartmentalized hierarchical authority as a structure. Geneva has become an international focal point for health issues. Switzerland needs to encourage these new collaborations between the private sector, NGOs, universities, 
and the state. This can also be done politically. There is a political organisation, a policy organisation, I would say, called the Global Public-Private Partnership. It should create a suitable working environment for the new bodies that emerge from these partnerships. And that's exactly what happened. Global governance. A way of managing the whole of the world through, through a process called global governance. Switzerland is also home to the Club of Rome. According to the Club of Rome website, Andre Hoffman is also on the board of trustees at the World Economic Forum and the Center for the Fourth Industrial Revolution. The Fourth Industrial Revolution, which is bringing together digital, physical, and biological systems. They've got a new idea, a new system. People have called that the New World Order or whatever. A new system that they want to sell to us. So how are they going to get us to believe in it? One of the features of this fourth industrial revolution is that it doesn't change what we are doing, but it changes us. The technological aspect of that is easy. You know, there are already AI algorithms on the earth that can manage just infinitely complex systems right down to the individual level. Our bodies will be so high tech, we won't be able to really distinguish between what's natural and what's artificial. So it's not a problem to manage it, technologically speaking. Their problem is getting us to go along with it. The technology exists, but how do we get it and implement it? So here we have the shareholder of the COVID test gathering ideas from the Club of Rome, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, Chatham House Think Tank, and many other shady organizations, and meeting with other heads of his family-owned company to then share these ideas as agenda contributors to the World Economic Forum in Davos. All the while, our FDA commissioner, Scott Gottlieb, was getting paid by these same guys and even being advised by the head of regulatory policy at Roche in Washington, D.C. Now, the ideas gathered at the club and shared at the forum eventually become law. They eventually become public policy. It's now time to turn this agreement into policies and action, into laws and budget lines. The Club of Rome wrote an open letter to global leaders, urging them to implement the Planetary Emergency Declaration and Plan, which supports lockdowns and other measures to combat global warming and climate change. A, quote, green reboot after the pandemic. All 193 UN member states adopted the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. But that's part of Agenda 21, which is a plan for the entire century, Sustainable Development Goals. When we realise what sustainable development is really about, we are going to go absolutely mental. We went, th th There will be a, a push for a global revolution. Mm -hmm. People will realize, hang on, they're taking everything. Presidents, prime ministers, and other high-level representatives from around the world gathered at the UN headquarters in New York for a high-level debate on achieving the SDGs. Mm -hmm. This is a business model on a global scale. As previously mentioned, even back in 2006, Switzerland was leading the way in creating the global public-private partnerships of today. Global public-private partnership, which is a global, for want of an expression, new world, order. new world order. Like there has been a lot of kind of almost global level power centralized in Switzerland for hundreds of years. Switzerland. Something kind of clicked with me is with Switzerland and being a neutral state and all these international, I was like, whoa. whoa. And no one 
talks about it ever. We, no one talks about Switzerland ever. International banking and high finance. My name is André Kudelski. I'm chairman and CEO of the Kudelski Group. Mr. Kudelski is also on the steering committee for the Bilderberg Group. I cannot comment on uh, a Bilderberg Conference. The secrecy surrounding the Bilderberg Group gives rise to conspiracy theories. Are you plotting a new world order? Certainly not. No? A one world government? <laughs> what an idea. What an idea. They're also famously neutral which dictates that the country is not to be involved in armed conflicts between other states. However, they are armed in order to ensure internal security and promote peace. First we're going to come destroy everything, but now, hey, hey, come on, let's keep peace, huh? Yeah. Let's keep it peaceful, guys. Please welcome newly appointed United Nations Messenger of Peace. Mr. Leonardo DiCaprio. It's easy to sit on your high horse and to be all about peace and prosperity and common sense for the greater good when you have already taken what you need, you know. They came and took that shit. Then they were like, all right, now we've got to stop making our hands dirty. We're no longer going to use a gun. We're going to start using fucking loans and, and investments and, and, you know, banks. The Switzerland of supranational organizations, the UN, the World Trade Organization. The WHO, Gavi, the World Economic Forum, Davos, CERN. Definitely, you're on for something. I mean, where's the Bank of International Settlements? That was one of my questions for you. The, the Bank of International Settlements is the central bank of central banks. So commercial banks, high street banks, they bank with a central bank. So in America, this would be done by a Federal Reserve Bank. In the UK, we've got the Bank of England. So the Bank of International Settlements is the central bank of central banks. And that is based in Basel in Switzerland. There's levels to this shit. And they know there's levels to this shit. And they're playing a different game. Uh, they're playing a different game. They're playing at a different level. And they figured out that perception is so important. So they all wear suits. They're living in this country with all these mountains and nature. So it all, like, it already kind of resembles, like, decency. What would the world be without our famous Swiss cheese? They just figured out, like, you know what? All we have to do is put on our suits every day, wear our Rolexes, you know, make sure that our hair is nice and slick, and just continue to commit our crimes on the highest level. Now this got me interested in learning more about how the government of Switzerland operates. This is the temple of politicians. Nobody is safe from the temptations of power. The National Council of Switzerland is the largest house of the Swiss legislator. It has 200 members and aside from its regular sessions in special situations such as political crises, wars, etc., they convene what they call extraordinary sessions. To date, there have been eight extraordinary sessions, including the response to the Chernobyl incident, the financing of Swiss Air, which included the 1998 crash of Flight 111 and the stolen gold aboard. Uh, this crash was investigated by SAIC slash Lidos, by the way. Hurricane Katrina is not the only disaster this company has helped out on. SAIC also worked on the Swiss Air crash in Nova Scotia in 1998. We were very much in the right place at 
the right time. And other extraordinary sessions were for the 2008 financial crisis, and the last one convened was for the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, this council of 200 met on May 4th, 2020, to respond to the new global crisis. The Council of 200 were the legislative authorities in four Swiss cities, as well as in the independent Republic of Geneva prior to the French Revolution. Although the council in Geneva dates back to 1526, the councils were medieval in origin, and they sometimes contained as many as 300 members. Now, this sounded very familiar to me. The Committee of 300, written by Dr. John Coleman, was a book published in the early 90s warning us that the Club of Rome was part of a secret group of 300 whose goal is to create a one-world government. Now, while rereading this book during the pandemic, I noticed of all the big pharmaceutical companies to be mentioned, it was Roche. Not Johnson & Johnson, not Pfizer, one of the other popular names, no. Rush. Page 106. The trend in making huge profits out of drugs was carried over into the 1960s by such legal drug death merchants as Sandoz, the makers of LSD, and Hoffman LaRoche, manufacturers of Valium. The cost of the raw material and manufacturing of Valium to Hoffman LaRoche is only $3 per kilo. It is sold to their distributors for $20,000 per kilo. By the time it reaches the consumer, the price of Valium has risen to $50,000 per kilo. Hoffman LaRoche does the same thing with vitamin C, which costs them less than one cent a kilo to produce. It is sold for a profit of 10,000%. When a friend of mine blew the whistle on this criminal company, which had entered into a monopoly agreement with other producers in contravention of the European Economic Community Laws, he was arrested on the Swiss-Italian border and hustled into prison. His wife was threatened by the Swiss police until she committed suicide. He lost his wife, his job, and his pension because he dared to disclose Hoffman LaRoche's secrets. The Swiss take their industrial espionage law very seriously. Remember this next time you see those lovely advertisements of Swiss ski slopes or beautiful watches, pristine mountains and cuckoo clocks. That is not what Switzerland is about. It is about dirty multi-billion dollar money laundering, which is carried out by major Swiss banking houses. It is about the committee of 300 legal drug manufacturers. Switzerland is the committee's ultimate safe haven for money and protection of their bodies in times of global calamity. Now, I was actually able to figure out the name of this friend that uh, Dr. Coleman was referring to. It was whistleblower Stanley Adams who published a book entitled Roche versus Adams, which wasn't super easy to get my hands on. This book demonstrates how the Swiss government considers whistleblowing against big pharma giants like Roche an act of industrial espionage. And look who is currently part of the National Council of Switzerland, another member of the Hoffman LaRoche family. Roche and the Swiss government are one and the same. Stanley Adams was locked up at the Italian-Swiss border, and his wife committed suicide while he was imprisoned. A film was made based on his book. Now, the purpose of Stanley's whistleblowing was to expose illegal competition practices within Roche. Now, these practices have enormous implications on the entire planet. Roche is the largest manufacturer and distributor of vitamins in the world. Vitamins. 
They come in a bunch of different forms. Soft gels, tablets, liquids. It's a giant industry on the rise that makes billions of dollars annually. Which directly affects the demand and prices of the global supply chain. Global supply chain crisis is happening right now. It's an economic fallout from the pandemic. Supply chain crisis issues severely impact the distribution of goods on an international scale. And as we've seen, have a very visible effect here in the United States. Sharply higher prices for food and energy, but also cars, clothing. Just to reiterate. Roche is a huge international corporation with an overwhelming amount of power and protection from the government, similar to that of an American biotech company called Lidos, who is also conducting clinical trials for COVID-19 therapeutics and in fact teamed up with Roche to work on technology advancements in sequencing cancer genes. Now, this is Nancy Roche, and this is her LinkedIn page. And I can't say for sure if Nancy is related to the Hoffman LaRoche family, but she certainly has some interesting credentials, to say the least. And Roche even worked on mRNA vaccines as early as 2016. And don't forget, Roche saw strong first quarter sales in COVID-19 tests. Roche receives decades of dividends for the Swiss aristocrats. The leader in biotechnology, cancer treatment, and diagnostics has had 28 consecutive years of dividend growth. And then I heard about the Midazolam scandal happening in the UK involving the killing of elderly people in the Liverpool Pathway nursing homes. The Liverpool Care Pathway, or LCP. You produced a new documentary that's essentially about euthanasia during the pandemic. Yeah, it's called The Good Death Euthanasia in the UK. Some patients were being put on the LCP without anyone giving permission. Some families only found out about it after a loved one passed away. They would put them on this drip which would put them into a basically a medically induced coma. And then through different protocols and legal loopholes and things like that, they would cut off their feeding and, and water, put them into a coma and let them starve and dehydrate to death. There were reports of treatments being removed too quickly. Some families said their loved ones would be left without food or water. I was bathing her head, you know, wetting her lips. And she opened her eyes and she looked at me and said, I'm hungry. So at this point, I, I was really, really, you know, emotional. There was a conversation between Health Minister Matt Hancock and Conservative MP Dr. Luke Evans. A, a good death needs three things. It needs equipment, it needs medication, and it needs um, the staff to administer it. So in terms of equipment, uh, a few quick questions. Do you have enough syringe drivers in the NHS to deliver medications to keep people comfortable when they're passing away? Yes, we do. And they're very openly discussing how best to give patients a, quote, good death. With that, that's to, the syringe drugs deliver medication, particularly things like midazolam and morphine. Um, do you have any precautions put in place to make sure we have enough of those medications to be delivered? Yes. And they're talking about what equipment, medications, and what staff they need to administer that good death. Midazolam and morphine. And so in, in March 2020, before the lockdowns really happened, the UK ordered vast record amounts of a drug called midazolam. The orders for this in the community increased by 2,000% during the pseudo-pandemic. got documents showing the dosage of midazolam that 
was recommended for COVID patients. I've got a document showing how to manage breathlessness in patients by using midazolam. It causes the symptoms that you would say were caused by COVID. It depresses the respiratory system. Why would you give a medication that suppresses the respiratory system for a respiratory disease? Why would you give it to a person with a respiratory disease? It makes no sense. It's a benzodiazepine, which is in the same family as uh, Valium, Xanax. It's an end-of-life drug as well. It's also used in lethal injections, or was used at least in lethal injections in the United States. This one is called Midazolam, and in three executions, there might have been some problems with it, gasping or snorting or making choking sounds, and at least in one execution that the inmate was actually speaking. I thought I might be able to guess whose drugs were being used in the Midazolam scandal. I'd be saying if it was Roche. Who is the creator of Midazolam? That was originally created by Roche Pharmaceuticals, who obviously you're very familiar with. Roche. And it is Roche. Now, my friend Cliché Garvera started covering this scandal, and the researcher that was involved was found dead. Exposing the mistreatment of elderly in care homes was basically a death sentence. If you to the hospital, they'd put you on remdesivir and put you on a ventilator, and then you had like a 90% chance of dying. And that was the American version of the UK protocol. And remdesivir is also a Roche pharmaceutical product. Remdesivir and uh, how useful it's been. Free IV treatments, you have to be in a hospital setting. If you're not all that sick, that may not sound very appealing. Remdesivir has been an active antiviral. Pfizer has a drug in advanced development the company I'm on the board of. There is a drug in advanced development a little further behind by Roche. Guess which big pharma company spends the most on television advertising? Yep, according to this study, Roche has been ramping up advertising efforts. Roche's commercial spending sits at absolute top of this list, having spent 20 million more in November than the number two spot. They love investing with other philanthropists and especially love when they get all the blame for their crimes. We put together a list of the top corporate criminals of the 1990s. We went back and looked at was guilty the people in charge at Roche are also in charge of an organization that specializes in disrupting financial systems on purpose, something they claim is healthy for the economy. System IQ, which took me a long time to find their website until I realized it was onpurpose.org because, again, they specialize in disrupting your financial system on purpose. Stakeholder capitalism is at the heart of the new global international monetary and financial system. Stakeholder capitalism metrics are going to be a way of asset rating 
everything. So everything will have a, a, a sustainable asset rating based mm. on stakeholder capitalism metrics, which is decreed by the World Economic Forum. The Hoffman-LaRoche family is so powerful, they even have members working in the government of Switzerland. And as demonstrated by Roche versus Adams, going against Roche is like going against the state of Switzerland. The Swiss government and Roche have a tight relationship. And these Alps are home to the wealthiest, most dangerous criminal elites in the world. I just feel like they are the biggest criminals on planet Earth. They're not all criminals, but you just have this like white collar crime. We have to deal with the evolving natures of conflict, the impact of uh, organized crime. By the 19th century, the British East India Company built vast opium factories. By 1839, opium was the world's most traded commodity. In time, opium developed as a prescription drug. The Merck Company launched a product called morphine. Bayer introduced a cough suppressant called heroin. The U.S. made heroin illegal, creating a new global crime business dominated by the Italian mafia. Italian mafia, mafia. Now there's an epidemic, a Middle East and dope get. The CIA imported all these opiates and sulfiates. Oxycontin, now the Roxy's got to move to heroin. That mixed with fluoride and water and you're American. Quote, unfortunately, the drug economy is not a parallel economy to the legitimate one, but an integrated one. Money laundering has now become part of the oxygen of the legal economy. The terrible truth is that the business of criminal cartels and pharmaceutical companies is connected. Together, they generate $100 billion of income a year. The Pizza Connection was a drug cartel of Italian mafia members who bought large batches of morphine in Switzerland and transported it to illegal heroin refineries in Italy before trafficking it to the U.S. and other countries. According to the Anti-Mafia Organization, these investigations allow us to understand that there is one single organization with multiple ramifications which occupies an operational and financial circuit that involves countries from all over the world. From Thailand and India, the suppliers of heroin and hashish, to Turkey and Lebanon, suppliers of basic morphine. Then from Italy to the United States, Canada, Great Britain, and Switzerland. Big Pharma turned to the mass manufacturer of other opium products like morphine and oxycodone and learned how to mechanize the process. They created a demand for narcotics, addicting millions of men, women, and children, which in turn fueled the illegal drug trade, from pill mills to heroin dealers to illegal fentanyl factories. This complex association involves different groups of people who work together synergistically. Their business, managed by organized crime, has a fundamental base in Italy, where opioids from the Middle East are refined and where the proceeds of the sales of the finished product made in the United States fall. The point of convergence? Switzerland. How does a country obtain this power where they're able to just be like, you know what, European Union, nah, we're good. You know what, bank transparency, nah, we're good. The Bank of Italy reported over 110,000 suspicious transactions in its anti-money laundering 2020 report. And how do criminals hide their money? The old trope of having a Swiss bank account. They literally constructed a system that allows them 
to take in any amount of money. They did a whole. All right, so that's a 28 minutes thereabouts of Corona Gate from a little while ago, but still relevant. I think there's some connections there that I don't hear anybody on Rev Radio talking about Switzerland. So this is the only place I've heard people talking about Switzerland. And I think Switzerland's an important place in this whole web of conspiracy. And uh, Hoffman LaRoche, LaRoche Chemicals or whichever subsidiary is, is responsible for the PCR test patents. They've got the the rights to PCR testing on a mass scale. So everything's licensed from from Roche. They make Medazolam, which was a big part of, of setting up the pandemic in the UK. And they make Remdesivir. So if you ask the question who benefits, key bono, as far as the money's concerned, it's all a lot of it is flowing to La Roche. So I think they need to be spoken about a little bit more than they're being spoken about and possibly taken to court a little bit more than they're being taken to court. I don't know. I don't know which country would you take them to court in. It would have to be Switzerland probably, wouldn't it? And then you're in serious trouble because they basically own Switzerland. They're running the government in Switzerland. So anyway, so... In terms of webs of conspiracy, that's uh, that's where my head is. There's lots of other versions of this, but I think there's a, there's a Jesuit connection, and there's a there's a Switzerland and Italy connection. A lot of which is is included in this uh, Corona Gate documentary, which is two hours. I'll I'll put a link in the chat while I remember. Uh, let me do that now. Actually, I'm, I got it from BitChute. So all you've got to do is search for Coronagate on BitChute and you'll find it. There's a, there's a two-hour version and, a, and two one-hour parts. But uh, either way, you'll find it. So the other thing I was going to do was play a little bit of Tom Cowan. Uh, that was the other choice I had. So I want to play some of this. We might get 10 minutes of this in. Tom, really looking forward to chatting with you. Always a pleasure uh, you know, to have you here. Let me so my screen again before I do that. All right. It helps if I share the right, the right part of my screen. There we go. So this is Tom Cowan talking to Dr. Bar Lando. And I thought some of this was interesting. Again, it's on BitChute. Uh, you can just talk, uh, just search for Tom, Dr. Tom Cowan, and you'll find it. Well, I consider you, you know, one of the very important voices out there. You spent many years. Essentially, don't worry about what's true. Just find out what isn't true. And then somehow that process will lead you to the promised land. And again, I didn't know I was doing that, but I started, you know, I mean, as a teenager before, like, I don't really believe this, like, this doesn't make sense. And I committed to uh, 
when there was a choice, and there's often a choice here that we all make between like what everybody thinks versus what you can see with your own eyes or reason with your own mind, I think it is, or experience with your own heart, I think, you got to go with the, with the latter, not the former. The argument that, well, everybody thinks you're wrong or everybody believes differently just doesn't work. So that led me, you know, the heart doesn't pump the blood. There's a whole different reason the blood moves in the body. The, uh, you know, uh, viruses don't exist and cancer has nothing to do with genetics. And, you know, sort of one thing after another. But what I discovered in the last few years is that process has taken like an, a kind of an exponential growth. And it was partly through actually conversations with Stefan Lenka and then reading the work of Harold Hillman and then reacquainting myself with Gilbert Ling, who is another biologist. And then I started to realize that this sort of debunking or it's not this process goes to just about everything in modern biology. There is no sodium pot potassium pump in the cell membrane. There are no receptors in the cell membrane. There's no such thing as an immune system. There's no synapses in nerves. Uh, there, there's no uh, neurotransmitters don't, don't promote nerve transmission. Uh, genetics is mostly a, a bunch of hooey. DNA is not the stable uh, element that determines the life or the structure of a living organism. And it just kept going. And I was not necessarily prepared or looking for this. It just was, well, then the next thing. And, you know, even something like yesterday, I actually did a webinar on malaria. I don't know if you guys have looked into malaria, but malaria is considered one of the crowning achievements and most settled scientific, uh, it, you know, accomplishments of the of the last hundred years. Everybody knows it's this unicellular parasite called a plasmodium, and it's a transmitted by mosquitoes, and mosquitoes bite you, and then they bite the next person. And there's five stages in the life cycle, and that's why they do mosquito netting, and now they're going to roll out this vaccine and the whole bit. And, you know, as I presented yesterday, and I don't know that I want to go into the whole thing here, none of that's actually true. And in fact, when you go back to the 1880s and 1870s, when this was first being proposed, the the people at the time, the doctors, the microbiologists, the toxicologists, the malaria people said, these aren't uh, parasites infecting your red blood cells. This is just what a red blood cell looks like when it's deteriorating. There's no, they've never seen these five stages. This one becomes this one becomes this one. They've never pulled out a parasite, isolated a parasite, and shown that it caused disease in any human or animal. And even you have these crazy things like, you know, Haiti and the Dominican Republic are on the same place, right? Same island. Haiti has a huge amount of malaria. 
the Dominican Republic has essentially no malaria. So what is it? The mosquitoes can't fly from one place to another? I mean, you keep going into these things and you realize that none of the explanations essentially in conventional medicine, conventional biology, are actually founded in truth and logic and something called science. Now, that led to a kind of hypothesis. And I, I would admit this is a, a, a theory that I have. And I'd be interested to see if you guys agree with this. I came to the conclusion that you cannot um, create a healthy system, be it medical care, be it your body, be it a culture or a society or a relationship between two people that's not grounded in truth. Now, a lot of people try, you know, they have relationships that aren't grounded in truth or they, they say it doesn't matter whether there's a virus or not, we're going to treat you anyways. And I frankly just don't see it like that. I think if your foundation is inaccurate, right, if you think that malaria is this mosquito pass pathogen and that's it, and you ignore that poor people who are starving and poisoned get malaria and healthy people who aren't starving and well-fed and aren't being poisoned up the wazoo, they don't get malaria. Right, so it has nothing to do with who gets bit by a mosquito or not. You you will never end up being able to treat somebody with malaria because you're you're wrong from the get go. You can't treat a nerve disease if you think that there are synapses, which, by the way, you can only see when you dehydrate the nerve for doing an electron microscopy, and the ends pull apart, making a gap which folds up, and they call that a synapse, a gap. And it's, it's an artifact of the electron microscopy procedure. And the idea that there's this gap makes no sense when you realize how fast transmission is in the body. It can't be swimming across synapses, chemicals. It just makes no sense at all. So you come to a point where your sense of life and your reason and your logic, they don't, they're not compatible with conventional modern medical care. And then what you find out or what I found out is, interestingly, it seems like there was a great reset in the 1850 to 1900 timeframe, where before that, people didn't think there were germs uh, you know, causing disease. They didn't think there was, you know, DNA and genes and, and all this stuff that we think. They thought that we are basically an electromagnetic, you know, entity that was living in the ether, which is an electromagnetic field. And we were tapping into that. And healing came about by like putting somebody in a cathedral that concentrated this electromagnetic field and actually stimulated a therapeutic response in the person. That's, or if you broke your bone, you would use sound or light and the bone would heal. 
and somehow in that time frame, we changed everything. We became a particle, right? We became a physical particle or millions and trillions of particles, which, which obey random laws, right? And so there's nothing to a broken bone. You broke your bone, you stick that two ends together, boom, that's it. The thing is, it doesn't work very well because that's not how it works. So that's a long-winded answer. Uh, being, I was essentially pushed <laughs> by my son and uh, like, Dad, you got to tell people about this. You got to, uh, you know, tell people what's not true and therefore what may be true and then actually start treating them but with with these kind of guidelines and that became the new biology clinic and the new biology curriculum essentially you know exposing people first to what's not true and then you wipe that slate clean because if you don't wipe that slate clean you go you go into this with all these misconceptions preconceptions. you're you're like sherlock holmes said don't ever remember anything that's not true it just clogs your system up so you get rid of all that you realize what a beautiful experience we're all part of but we just don't see it so that's a long-winded answer to hopefully now that's uh Amazingly well said. I think you encapsulated everything that we talk about a lot. I'll bet. And it, it all goes back to we live in a functional realm. And I explain what I did years in clinic as bioterrain medicine, but it's really functional medicine. When you understand how our realm works, as you're explaining on the larger macro scale, those old sayings, as above, so below, know yourself, yeah. you'll know the universe. You realize that all those same mechanisms work identically on all levels of life, right down to our biology. Yes. And just as you did practicing functional medicine, all those years you learned when you understand those mechanisms and apply them to medicine, it has a much better outcome than yes. what we learned in conventional medicine. And if if you wouldn't mind if I offer Another possible plausible explanation for malaria, it comes from the biochemic understanding. And you take somebody that goes down to the southern hemisphere, number one, they're bringing in a lot more moisture into their lungs, and therefore that accumulates into the bloodstream. And now if they are uh, deficient in potassium chloride, which is responsible for removing excess fluids when they where they don't belong, then the pulse is going to need to speed up. If you're uh, deficient in, uh, um, you know, different iron elements, then that's going to prevent a, or it's going to create a deficiency of oxygen. And so the pulse speeds up. Uh, the body goes through a lot of chills and everything, literally trying to wring out the extra uh, yeah. fluids. And, and then after a fever, you start sweating, then you feel better. And so you accumulate fluids again, then you have another episode. The other thing, is that when you take that all right we haven't got time for any more of that we've got bumpers coming up shortly but just in case anybody doesn't know uh, revolution radio is uh, entirely listener supported so we do rely on your help if you can make a donation 
financially, then uh, you can do that at revolution.radio. If you follow the link from the menu, you'll get to a page where you've got a choice of ways to make a donation. Um, if, if you can't make a financial donation, come and join us in the chat room, have a conversation and join in with some of the shows that way. Uh, you can find me on online at Podbean and on Rumble and on BitChute and on Odyssey and where else am I? <laughs> where else have I been? I'm all over the internet anyway. Usually if you just look for Free Association Radio Show, you'll find me. Sometimes it's Radio Projects, sometimes it's Dennis Barker, but you, you should be able to find me. On Spotify as well. Anywhere you, you find a podcast you'll find me anyway that's pretty much it for the for this week thanks for listening i appreciate your company uh the chat room's been lively and uh i'll see you next week Barbara Jean Lindsay, the Cosmic Oracle. If you have questions about your past lives or future plans, need answers from the cosmos about your love life or career, or just want to keep your finger on the pulse of the planet, check out my show, The Cosmic Oracle, here on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Hi, I'm Bill Johnson. Some consider my efforts to be an underground law school. I am not an attorney, and I do not give legal advice. I teach. That's lawful and legal. Consider yourself served. You are to appear Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, Studio A. My forte? Foreclosure and contract law. Grab your legal pad and pen. Learn a broad spectrum of law spanning administrative, criminal, family, tort, and federal law. Fools and losers cling to old cases. I dissect and comment on the latest rulings that control the courts. Don't be a loser. And if you don't appear, you will be held in contempt. Are you interested in the paranormal? Murder mystery? Real natural law? Do you enjoy interviews with amazing guests? Then join Crypt Rick every Monday night, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Revolution Radio. Studio A, freedomslips.com. Crypt Rick's iPhone, thank you. Welcome to the Crypt. <laughs> what the heck is the truth, Jihad? Hey, I'm Kevin Barrett, host of Truth Jihad.